You never want to underestimate the power of encouragement. I want you to take a minute just to think about folks that have been real encouragers in your life. What did they do? Was it a, a card that they sent, a note that they wrote? Um, did they call you? Did they take you out to lunch? Did they give you something that was meaningful? Did they make a special effort to somehow show love in such a way that you were encouraged? On Thursday night, by the time I got home, uh, looking at the mail, usually Trina guys go through it, and I saw Bill, and I'm like, oh, man, this can't be good. And then I was like, i got to find something better. And then I, I saw this note that was addressed to both of us, and usually Trina opens these, but I'm like, maybe it could even be good. You never know. So I opened it up. Don't you find you always you open up the handwritten stuff, you know? Everything else, like, just can wait, right? So I opened this up and uh, got this, this card here, and it just said, hello, Grant and Karina. I just wanted to let you two know that I'm thinking of you and praying for you this week. I was reading in the Psalms just the other day, and I noticed that David was thanking God for caring about the welfare of his servants. It was really encouraging to me. So I also wanted to share it with you to remind you that God loves you both and cares about how you are feeling and how you are doing. And this lady went on to write some very encouraging, very special things. I appreciate that. It was, it was like a fresh breath of air, encouragement, like cold water to a weary soul. Just this note, someone willing to take the time to write that. I've been doing a lot of time thinking about the folks that have been major spiritual encouragers in my life. One guy, very instrumental in my early years of development as a State Farm agent by the name of Tyler Evans. When I get out of college and I got my first major job and I'm working in the business community, this is the guy that was encouraging me, helping me take these next steps. He ran the youth ministry at the church I went to, a church of a couple thousand, and uh, he invited me to give like a devotional one time. You know, I had to inform him, I've never, I've never done that. He's like, well, these junior high kids, and, and I'm going to help you, but I want to give you this opportunity. So having never done one before, I, I, I needed a good intro. It was really a simple Devo. At, there was a Nike commercial about Bo Knows, about Bo Jackson, this really versatile athlete. And this commercial said, you know, Bo Knows track and Bo Knows baseball and Bo Knows football. And this is just this really all-star athlete. And so I, I talked about that and all these junior high kids go, yeah, Bo Knows all these things. And I said, but does Bo know Jesus? Because if Bo needs, it knows Jesus, this is what he needs to know. And then I just went through the gospel, man. That's about all I know at this point. And I just tell him, listen, Jesus came, lived the perfect life. He died, paid the penalty for our sins. And he really did rise again from the grave. And I'll tell you what, it is so important that you kids trust in him. That's what Bo needs to know. And I sat down right there. That's it. Right there. Very simple. It was Tyler Evans that gave me um, the challenge to fill in for a Sunday school class. Uh, the first time I ever got asked to speak at a Christian school, K-12, it was Tyler, coaching and encouraging. First time running a youth thing. First time doing a retreat. It was this guy. He was always showing up and speaking and encouraging and, and being so ever helpful. And, you know, I want to be like that. I'd like to be someone that gives someone the motivation and the encouragement and the practical steps and that you can do it through Christ. And I have a feeling that you would, too. How do you develop as a spiritual encourager? What do you need to do? What does that really look like? Well, if you've got your Bibles open to 2 Timothy chapter 1, 
It is laid out for us in black and white. How do you become a spiritual encourager? First thing you need to do is there is a priority that you have to pursue. We looked at this last week, but look at verses 13 and 14. The Apostle Paul writes, Retain the standard of sound words, which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Literally, he's saying you need to live out the word. Retain the standard. Follow the pattern that is given to us in the word of God. You see, the Christian is to build their life on Christ and his word in such a way that the word of God shapes your way of life. And so when he talks about retaining the standard, it's like follow the pattern. Just like an architect you know, draws a sketch and then he fills in the details. Same with an artist. They kind of put out the big picture of what they're doing, then they fill in details. If you're writing a manuscript, if you are working on your thesis or dissertation, let me give you a real helpful hint. Start with a really good outline and then just start filling it in. By the way, it works out really well on essay questions when you're asked that in college. You have an outline, you start filling it in. Well, God gives us his word. And this is what we're to build on, and it gets weaved into the fabric of our life. You're to hold the pattern of the word. And you do so in the faith and love that Christ gives. When you've got faith and you have a love for the Lord, God not only gives these gifts, but he wants you to manifest them. And it's all this reciprocal pattern that comes from being in the word. You live out the word. And notice what else we saw last week in verse 14. You're to treasure the truth. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. If you and I are going to be spiritual encouragers, you cannot give what you do not possess. If you want to experience wisdom and actually encourage people with biblical wisdom, it's, it's, it's found in being this book where you've got a familiarity with the truth. And as you continue to develop patterns of being in the Word, it starts shaping your way of thinking. You see right from wrong because you're basing it on the morality that God gives us in his word. You're not confused by a culture that's just like, well, we're going to do this now because it feels good. We're like, yeah, but God, who establishes morality in the universe, has said this is right, this is pure, this is holy, and this is good. If you're going to be someone that truly can encourage another to remind someone that Christ is risen from the dead, to express grace, to show them that, listen, you don't have to be shackled to the pain and the problems of your past. You don't have to live in guilt. You don't have to be dominated by fear because you can know the goodness of the Lord. Guess where that kind of heart comes from? It comes from being in the Word. So somehow, if you're going to be a spiritual encourager, you've got to develop a pattern of being in this Word. Uh, we got one doctor before he goes in and does his surgeries and helping out with the anesthesia. He, uh, you know what he does? He spends time reading the Word. Maybe it's at lunchtime for you. Maybe it's before you go to bed. But find a time, even if it's five minutes, to let God's Word shape your life. If you're saying, well, I don't even know where I'd start to read, make it real easy for you. Just take the book of 2 Timothy, the one that we're in. Just start reading it. Maybe a chapter a day. It's only four chapters. You could probably even read the whole thing. But just be in the Word. Routine is the key to a long-term success. And you remember in verse 12, Paul says, you know, if you want to know why I'm willing to suffer... I don't want you to miss that. I know whom I have believed. How do you get to know God that in depth? Well, it comes from getting to know his word. So if you want to develop as a spiritual encourager, you're going to need a diet of spiritual food. 
you want to have a priority to pursue, and that is to be in this book. But I want to make you aware of a huge pitfall. If you want to be a spiritual encourager and develop as one, there is a major pitfall to avoid, and it's written right here in the very next verse, verse 15. There are multiple very painful verses in the book of 2 Timothy. This is one of them. Look what he says. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. They turned away. He says all of them. He's probably using kind of acceptable hyperbole. That there was a widespread turning away from me. They had other pursuits and other priorities, and they just they just turned away from me. They moved on to something else. And you know these guys here. Uh, it's interesting. Phygelus and Hermogenes. Did you anybody name their kids that? I don't, I've never met him. Do you know why? Because these are the ones who abandoned. They turned away. They had opportunities. Perhaps they were key leaders. They're obviously known to Timothy. It's like, these are the guys you'd really expect to be with you. Like, if you're going through difficulty, or you're being imprisoned, or you're, you're facing hardship. And even Agilus and Hermogenes, they, they left him. And can't you see Paul's pain? You see, he loves people. This is a true shepherd. A true spiritual shepherd doesn't like keep their distance from everybody and kind of got real good at stiff arming and I'll say a few things and I'll just kind of move on. Now, if you're really going to truly lead people and you invest in them from a heart level, you engage, you love them in such a way that they actually get it that you love them. And for Paul, he's all about relationships. He's passionate, passionate for Christ. That's why he's passionate for the church and the people. And he's, you know, you need to know something. People can hurt you. When you love like this, people can hurt you. C.S. Lewis said, to love at all is to be vulnerable. If you don't want to be hurt, give yourself to no one. Not even a cat, okay? Like even your cat could turn on you. If you don't want to be hurt, this is what you do. You just put up that wall of self-protection, man. You always keep people at a distance. And I'll tell you, you're going to stunt your growth. You're going to have such a shallow life. You're not going to experience the depth that God wants to bring you in because you are created for relationship. That's why God has even made you in His image, for you to share relationship with Him and to share it with others. And Paul certainly did that, and I'll tell you what, it hurt him deeply. It was painful to be deserted. Interesting, this word turning away, um, it's used two other times. It's used in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and Titus chapter 1 verse 14. Both times it's used to turn away from the truth. Speaking of doctrinal apostasy, that they, they turned away from that which is true. So this turning away, surely it was personal. They turned away from Paul, but it's very likely as they just turned away from the truth. And you kind of find that. When you turn away from the truth, you kind of turn away from those who are representing it and teaching it well. And this is what Paul is experiencing. Um, there's a guy by the name of John MacArthur. I think you probably heard of him. Uh, Christianity Today said that this pastor is one of the most influential pastors alive today. He's on uh, a radio station, Grace View. It's around the world. I, it's, uh, I 
guy who's president of Master College, Master Seminary. He's written or edited over 150 books. He's the pastor of Grace Community Church down in the L.A. area. John MacArthur wrote this. To be rejected by the world is not pleasant, but to be deserted by fellow workers in the service of Christ is particularly painful. To have those you have spent your life spiritually nurturing, nurturing turn away from you and sometimes even against you is heartbreaking in the extreme. And this is a theory from him. I heard uh, years ago, I was attending a conference, and he, he talked about this experience that he'd been eight years at Grace Community Church, and he dips into his meeting with these other guys that he's been working with, and he says, listen, I, I just want you to know I love you guys, and I'm so thankful for your friendship. And one of these guys turned in and said, if you think we are your friend, you've got another thing coming. And they led a revolt, a mutiny, trying to eject him as pastor. Friends, to be like Paul and to be deserted by guys like Agellus and Hermogenes, how painful that is. It's a pitfall. If you want to be a spiritual encourager, this is what not to do. Don't be one who turns away. I've got multiple pastor friends around the country, a lot of them in the state of Texas, and on occasion we're able to get together with different guys. And I remember uh, hearing this on several occasions, but people in these guys' church that had abandoned them and left them after all this investment, he was so deeply hurting. One guy down in Austin told me after his heart attack, he thought that was the key contributor to it. Friends, if you want to be a spiritual encourager, you want to avoid the pitfall of being a fickle follower of Christ and a fair-weather friend to his people. And so we have listed here an example of what not to do. If you want to be a spiritual encourager, there is a priority to pursue and there is a pitfall to avoid. But on the heels of this bad example, we've got a stellar example of a man and his family let me give you a pattern to follow. You and I learn best by really good examples. And you're not going to do better than the guy by the name of Onesiphorus and his family. Look at this very next verse. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. Man, here you've got Onesiphorus and his family. Interesting, Onesiphorus was a common name given to a slave. Very likely that Onesiphorus had been a slave and eventually became a freedman. This is a common name for slaves, but something else like slaves in the Roman Empire didn't marry and you didn't have a family. So, in order to be able to run around and to actually chase a guy down like Paul, you would have to be a freedman. So, it's very possible that Onesiphorus came with a background in slavery. Try that on for size. And yet, now see this man who's got a heart for Christ and his people, and he's going to find you, Paul. doesn't matter where you are. You're in some hole in a ground called the Maritime Prison in Rome. You're just left there to rot before they kill you. Onesiphorus is the guy that is going to find you. There is nothing that is going to stop him. And it's really interesting. You see this in verse 15? It says, The Lord grant 
mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. Then really thinking about that word mercy, why was that word selected? You know, every word in the Bible is important and selected by God. Why mercy? Why not say like reward or grace? But he says the Lord grants mercy. Why mercy? You see, mercy means to show comfort, uh, to motivate one to express love and compassion because they're a person in need. And I don't know this for certain, but perhaps it was this. Paul is saying the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus because Onesiphorus was also a man in need. It's very possible that the one showing mercy needed mercy. He's like the wounded warrior, and yet he's willing and engaging. And it's not just Onesiphorus. It's his whole family. It could be his extended family. If they have laborers, it could include laborers. The whole gang's in it. But Onesiphorus might be one of those guys who's injured himself, but he's still engaging and encouraging. As I've been thinking about the major spiritual encouragers in my life, I, I find that all of them either have gone or are presently going through a major trial, a significant difficulty. You know, what would move an individual to express care and love when they themselves are hurting? I'll tell you, it's treasuring Jesus and his word. It's the treasure principle. You see, if you really don't treasure Christ, his word isn't all that important to you. When you suffer, when you go through trial, what do you do? You clam up, you're done. And no one's, you're not, you're not going to be reaching out to others. Why? Because you're consumed by your own situation. And yes, it's painful. But when Jesus is in the center of your life, and he's moving your heart and strengthening your soul. You know what happens? You begin to break out of that. And even if you are hurting, you are investing and encouraging to others. It can only be explained by the presence of Christ. And so we've got this Onesiphorus. I mean, look at this. Do you remember? This is, this is in the time of Nero. Nero, having set fire to Rome, he needed a scapegoat. Who did he select? He selected these Christians. Not because they worship Christ, but because they worship Christ alone. You want to have a lot of gods and you want to add Jesus to it? That's fine. But the exclusive claim that you're worshiping Jesus and he alone is Lord, and I'm not in the equation, doesn't work well for Nero. And so it isn't the time of the persecution. Nero at this time is feeding people, Christians into the Colosseum. They're fodder for wild dogs and animals. He's put them up in, their, in his garden. He set them on fire. He's crucified Christians just to make a statement. To be a person like Onesiphorus, who's running around Rome in your provincial accent, asking people, where is this Christian named Paul? Having doors slammed. People saying, listen, what you're doing is dangerous. And Onesiphorus says, yeah, I'm fully aware, but I'm a man on a mission. I am here to encourage this man. This is a mess for us. You know, I'm sure he ran into Christians and said, we really don't know where he's at. It's just kind of like, you know, that kind of that cools your conscience with, don't know, so I can't be much of a help. That's not going to work for a guy like a mess for us, man. He is such a spiritual encourager that a few obstacles are not going to stand in his way. And it's interesting. He says, it says that he often refreshed me 
That word refresh is the language of hospitality. It literally means to like cool again or to cool off. And, and it's, it's got the Greek word for soul. It's not just physical refreshment, like he brought him some candy or some food or some hygiene items, but he encouraged his soul. He prayed with him. He reminded him of Jesus and him crucified and the resurrection and the importance of staying faithful and hold on to Jesus with everything you've got. That's what a true spiritual encourager does, and that's what we've got in a guy by the name of Onesiphorus. He hunts him down. He is the minister to the minister, isn't he? He's the pastor to the pastor. He cares. It doesn't matter the difficulty or the hardships. He's going to find him. And for Onesiphorus, being a spiritual encourager wasn't a one-time deal. It was obviously a way of life. Did you see that in verse 18? He says, The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And look what else he writes here. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. This isn't a one-time deal. This is a way of life. That's what the Lord wants to do with each of us. Where we become spiritual encouragers as a way of life. So how do you do it? How do you become a spiritual encourager? Well, I wanted to put it down in like six words. If you want to become a spiritual encourager to grow in this pursuit, let me give you six words. First two, exalt Christ. Jesus needs to be our daily delight. Find time each day to exalt Jesus. When Jesus is your daily delight, it moves you past you and your problems onto Christ and others. So you want to exalt Christ. Let me give you another few words. Value people. You see people as valuable, as made in the image of God, worth and having full dignity. I don't care what they look like, what their background is, what their economic status is, whether they're young or old, whether they're a believer or not, you value people. By the way, that is what God is at majorly at work doing. Breaking down these barriers, taking Christians who may have a very narrow mindset, but I pretty much only affiliate with people that look like me and I think are like me. No. He is expanding your vision and your breadth and your depth. And you value people. You're going to be a spiritual encourager. You've got to value them. And let me give you the final two words. Take initiative. Take the initiative. If you're waiting for someone to say, oh, I could really use some encouragement. They're like, oh, man, I heard a message on that. I think I'll do it. No. No, you, you take the initiative. You know, if we could see the condition of the souls and all the problems that are going on in this auditorium right now, almost everyone, if not everyone, has got to hurt got a pain and could really use a word of encouragement, a kind smile, a handshake, a hug, a reminder that Jesus is good and that he is great. You want to ask this prayer to the Lord, Lord, would you just do your work through me? Watch what happens when you exalt Christ, value people, and take the initiative. When I was in college at the University of Oregon between my junior and senior year, I was with a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ, and they had, during the summer, these opportunities for college students around the country to go to various locations uh, to spend a summer growing in the Word, ministering, sharing the gospel, developing as leaders. And so, uh, being a pretty brand new Christian, I uh, wanted to really suffer for Jesus, so I picked uh, San Diego to go to. And I said, right there, it's rough, man. 
And so I've, I've pitched San Diego, and I, I show up there, and they got about 80 to 100 college kids, and they are packing us into these condominiums. So, for instance, a single bedroom. I am rooming with six other college kids, uh, guys, and it was like, oh, man, these guys were a disaster. I, I mean, like, I'm like, I could not do this for a long period of time. And we're in this tiny little room, and they're all, and the girls are all packed out in their tiny rooms. We got, and that, that was multiple rooms like that, just packed out with guys. And so these leaders were smart. They knew that if, you and, that if we were going to be of spiritual benefit and of use, that we would need to have a very Christ-centered attitude. So they made us memorize Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. You couldn't do anything until you memorized it. And so we did. You remember it. Like Philippians 2 begins, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, and that's a first-class condition, that's a should be translated like, since, since there is encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and uh, compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. And do not merely look out for your own personal interests, that's our orientation, right? But also for the interests of others, have this attitude in yourselves which was in Christ Jesus. Remember? Comes as a man, takes the form of a bondservant, right? He lives like that. Friends, that is the attitude of Christ. I'm here to serve. It's not just about me. And that's what Jesus is forming in us. He wants us to become spiritual encouragers. Friends, if the ministry of encouragement, you can literally change people's lives. If you're a parent and you want to invest in your kids, be a spiritual encourager. A teacher, a teacher that goes, I'm just trying to get through my classes, is not really effective. But the teacher says, I'm going to love these kids. Friends, you could change their lives. If you're a coach, if you are someone that is working with people, if you're a spiritual leader, you got a ministry, I don't care if it's with little children or our oldest adults, but the ministry, the most important ministry you might have is to be a spiritual encourager. Everyone needs it. Mark Twain, famous author, he gave us this quote, one compliment can keep me going for a whole month. Wow, not bad. And we need it, don't we? I mean, life is hard, right? There is difficulty and challenge and pain and problems and discouraging circumstances. It is easy to lose sight of God. What we need are those who are spiritual encouragers. Encouragement is kind of like oxygen to the soul. Someone who reminds us of Christ and His goodness and His grace. Someone who says, you know, you can take these next steps. You can make it through the day. I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. I am with you. People will go a lot farther than they think they could when someone else thinks they can. Isn't that true? People will always go farther than they think they could when someone thinks, you know what, I think we can. A couple months ago, a family in the church gave me uh, two tickets to go to the Baylor men's game against Xavier, so a top ten game in the nation. And uh, these are pretty good tickets. And so Cameron and I, we went to the game and, and we're, we're sitting there, and uh, as the game gets going, there's this lady, and, and, and I, I could not miss her. She had, like, this tremendous 
voice. And she just stood up and goes, you got the power, you got the power. Okay, and I'm like, whoa. And I'm, I'm looking, and I mean, this lady just radiated joy. She was a one-person choir. I have never heard anyone so loud in my life. And it wasn't just a one-time deal. She was up and at him. You've got the power. You, whoa. And I'm like asking around. And the, the lady next to me, I, I go, who did that? And she goes, wow, that, that guy, that lady, that, that's Jonathan Motley's mom, you know? One of the big stars for Baylor right there. It's his son down there. And so she'd just get up and start saying, you've got the power. And he'd respond to that. Like there was a time when the ball went off his hand and went out of bounds. And she could see he was discouraged. We're back up. We've got the power. And she said, and I tell you what. So second, we went for the trip, you know, the first half of the game. Second half of the game starts. And you know what? We've all kind of caught on to this. It doesn't change. You've got the power. She starts that. Guess what? We all start doing it. We're all, and then it starts spreading because people are like, what are you doing? And we got the power. And they're doing it. The cheerleaders down there doing their thing. All of a sudden, they're looking up there because everybody's doing it. You've got the power. The cheerleaders were looking at the cheerleader. There she was. And I, we got a basketball coach here, and we've got some folks in the Baylor Athletic Department. I will tell you, the secret to that man's strength is his mother. She's it. You got the power, right? And she understands the power of encouragement. She doesn't care what you think about her. What she does care about is her son. And friends, that's what a spiritual encourager does. Let me give you a few tips on being a good encourager. You want to be trustworthy. You want to be a person that's got allegiance. You don't have an agenda to work. You're not trying to manipulate people for your own little purposes. And you can share confidence. You can keep it. Let me give you another. You want to be specific. Not just general, but you want to be specific in pointing out progress or affirming qualities or something that was done well or at least better. Let me give you another. Be motivated. Highlight diligent efforts or discernment exercise or the fruit of one's labor or the presence of God's grace. Man, we really see the Lord at work in you. Let me give you another. Be willing to point out next steps, like what could be helpful, what to avoid, what to grow in, what to modify, what to develop. But highlight next steps. You will find that leaders, spiritual leaders, don't just speak in generalities, but they actually can see what are the next steps. They articulate it like, this is where we're going, these are the next steps. And you speak that into the person. You affirm them, you show them where the development is, and you help them take those next steps. And finally, you want to be Christ-centered. You want to be pointing people to the grace and the goodness and the faithfulness of Jesus. Always keep pointing them to him, to Christ, who strengthens us. There's a guy by the name of Charles Wesley in the 1700s. This is a very famous songwriter in the church. Um, but uh, there was a time this great hymnist uh, dealt with some pretty serious problems. He had a severe bout with pleurisy, which is the inflammation of the membranes around the lungs, which is apparently very painful. And he was actually plagued with doubts about his relationship with God and his own faith. And so a group of Christians came and they visited with him. They took care of him, they uh, provided for him, and they told him stories about how God was at work. And when they left, Charles Wesley felt better physically, but especially in his own soul. And he wrote one of the most popular hymns out there. You've probably heard of it. 
Oh, for a thousand tons to sing. In fact, he would go on in his life to write over 6,000 songs, songs of the faith. You remember the song? Oh, for a thousand tons to sing, my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad, the honors of thy name. I'll tell you, sometimes it is great to hear a thousand tongues praising God, right? But sometimes it only takes one. Only one voice. A voice of encouragement. And that's what Onesimus is. He shows up. It's difficult to find him. He's putting his life at risk to go and hunt down a Christian in prison for the faith. No big deal. I am here to encourage this man. I will bring him physical supplies. I will pray with him. I will encourage him. You hold on to Jesus. Don't you let go. It's very interesting. Jesus says something so very profound about people who serve and minister like this. You find it in Matthew chapter 25, speaking of this judgment that takes place before the millennial kingdom. Jesus makes this statement. He says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come. You who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Wow. Listen to what he says. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. You know, I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer, uh... Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And listen to what Jesus says. And the king will answer and say to them, Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of the brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. See, the king will remember even the little things that we did long after we have forgotten them. You see, when we treasure Jesus and his words, you know what? We will encourage others. It is the treasure principle. You see, spiritual encouragement, it's unforgettable. It's unforgettable to the person that receives it. It is unforgettable to those who are observing it, and it is unforgettable to the king that rewards it. Some of you have read the book, The Lord of the Rings, or or watched the movie, probably more likely. Uh, The Fellowship of the Ring, you probably are familiar with it. In this uh, book, or the movie, you've got this guy by the name of Frodo Baggins. Awesome name, huh? All right? And you got this little hobbit, he's got big feet, and he's given this daunting task. He's got to take this ring and throw it in the cracks of doom into the evil and treacherous land of Mordor. Remember that? And there's this big tall guy with an overgrown beard. Looks like a little ZZ Top kind of guy, and his name is Gandalf. All right? And he's hanging out with these hobbits, and he's, give, he's commissioned Frodo to take this ring, get rid of it. But he also tells this guy, another little hobbit, by the name of Samwise Gamgee. And he tells Samwise, listen, you don't abandon Frodo. You go with him. You stay with him to the very end. And so these little hobbits go and 
and it's all difficult. And there's others that join them, and there's at the end, there's about nine of them. That's the, that is the fellowship of the ring. And they're kind of making their way, and it's bad. There's all sorts of terrible things that happen, but somehow together they make it through. But deep into the story, Frodo, he makes a, a, you know, it's a noble move. He wants to preserve the lives of his friends. It's been so difficult, so he decides that he's going to go it alone for the rest of the way, and he's going to take this ring and do it by himself. And so little Frodo gets in his boat, and he pushes it off the shore, and he's kind of making his way going, and all of a sudden, crashing through the branches and onto the grass and now into the water is Samwise Gamgee. And, and so he's like, Mr. Frodo, Frodo, you remember that? And he's like calling out to him. He's running in the water. And Frodo yells back, go back, go back, Sam. I'm, I'm going, I'm going to Mordor alone. And Samwise says, of course you are. And I'm coming with you. He's like, no, no, you can't swim. But here's the Samwise, you know, and he's got these big feet and he can't swim. And he's just going in to the, the lake there. And he's like, you can't swim. But he doesn't stop him. Pretty soon, he goes under. And so Frodo, he reaches out. He grabs, uh, he grabs little Samwise's hand, pulls him up. He's kind of looking at him with these eyes. And he's like, you know, like, why? Why would you do this? Why would you risk your life attempting to swim to me? And so when he pulls him into the boat, Samwise says this. I made a promise, Mr. Frodo, a promise. Don't you leave him, Samwise Gamgee, and I don't mean to. I don't mean to. Friends, that's a note. I'm not going to leave you. Being a spiritual encourager, it's a way of life. And so I just want to ask, who will be the encouragers and the servants in a modern-day Rome Really, the people that treasure Jesus and his word, that's it. And so I just want to put this out. This week, let's all of us take a step. Each one, encourage one. Each one, encourage one. Maybe there is someone that's actually working with your kids right now, or uh, a life group leader, or a Bible study leader, someone in, your, in your, um, your group that you're with, or in a ministry, or in this church, or in the community, or in your home. Each one, encourage one. And by the grace of God, let's be a blessing. After all, treasuring Jesus and his word, you know what it does? It moves us to encourage his people. Let's pray. Lord, what a tremendous passage of scripture. You, through the working of your gospel, are bringing about a profound ministry where we encourage the saints to remind each other of the gospel, of fresh faith, of the beauty of knowing Jesus. And Lord, if there's someone here today who's never trusted Jesus, they've heard about him, they've been in church, but they've never truly trusted, you've got their full attention, would they just simply pray with me and say, Lord, I don't know all the answers, but I do know that I'm a sinner, and I do know that Jesus is the resurrected Savior. And I trust in him this morning. I believe. Lead my life, guide it, and encourage me. Lord, I need it. And Lord, for all of us, May we have a fresh vision of how you're using us in our homes, in this community, in this school, in our church. So would you have pro provide and accomplish this profound work of being spiritual encouragers for your glory? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.